thank you for all your prayers, everything that goes with that. I, I had to laugh. Val and I were actually kind of just dialoguing on, on, you know, that fifth Sunday every month kind of can create some scheduling snafus when, like for the after-service fellowship. And so just trying to be creative. And so I was t- telling Cassandra, I'm like, man, like that fifth Sunday, you know, not, not cancel, but just to change because it's, it's about the mission and like we can make it take somebody out Sunday. And she starts laughing. She goes, take somebody out, huh? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's great. We can play off of that. We can do that. Um, but I want to tell you in that really what it is, it's very missional because what you're doing, you're being intentional about creating a greater capacity for God in somebody's life. Whether it's somebody here, somebody there, and it's like Val said, you, you, it doesn't have to be take them out kayaking, take them out for a hike, take them out whatever it is. And if it's somebody here or maybe it's just a neighbor and you go, man, I'm going to go spend time with them intentionally four times this year. And I would really like to hear back some of those stories. Like, what'd you do? What'd you do? Uh, what did God do? And, and I'm, I'm, I mean, there will come a time somebody's going to say, man, I got the chance to pray with my neighbor and they accepted Christ. And I love that. But you know what? 99 of the stories probably are not going to be that initially. But that doesn't mean there wasn't a greater capacity for God created in somebody's life. And so that's what that's about. It's it's easy to come to the things that are provided for us, but there comes that place when we begin to step out and now we're believing God to do the mission. As a group, 40 times a year, we'll do it together out here. But about 12 times a year, we have opportunities to do something else. Um, And just because somebody doesn't plan the mission out and how it's going to happen for you, doesn't mean you shouldn't be missional as a church. And that is to to create healthy community in our community. And the, and the vision for that is harmonizing together in his service, looking forward, creating a greater capacity for God. That's how we do it. And uh, so uh, anyway, I'm kind of excited about that. We, we talked about it and said, well, let's pray about it. And all of a sudden on Saturday morning, I just, my mind works like lightning. It's a flash and it's all gone, right? And there, there it was. It was just a flash, and that was it. And so, anyway, um, pray about that. Next Sunday is one of those. It's, it's a five-Sunday month, and so rather than just it being out here, we get the opportunity to take somebody out. And I will guarantee you we'll use James Bond or something as we promote this. And you can go to work, and you can go, hey, my pastor told me four times this year I get to take somebody out, right? And we'll probably fill the place. All right, here we go. <coughs> Amen. So, uh, this is, um, the more I ponder this, and as I was preparing yesterday, I told you we were going to spend some time on the, the dynamic of righteousness. Righteousness, because in Psalms 23, of course, this comes from our study in verse 3. Last week, we spent a lot of time on, he restores my soul. The essence of life, only Christ can restore that, the essence of life. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full, right? He restores my soul. But in the same breath, it goes on to say, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And uh, righteousness is one of those words of a thousand definitions, depending on who you talk to. But I've 
kind of nailed righteousness down for our study here. And really this, this term has been the most, one of the biggest turns in the road for me that I can remember. And definitely of last year when the spirit of God just asked me the question, he said, Brent, what is righteousness for, for all practical purposes and, and your walk with me and what's going on? What is righteousness? And he goes, in, in anything you can consider, it's how I see it. That's righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to know how I see it, for they will be satisfied. And I've, I've just begun to apply that every time I see the word righteousness. I go, man, God, this has to do with how you see it. And so Jesus said that he would guide us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He would guide me in paths of how he sees it for his namesake. And I want to spend the rest of this message, and I want to just unpack that because there's so much in here. There's so much in here. This, this ties to so many things in Scripture. I'm going to talk about that a little bit next week. Um, but it's, it's worth noting here. It's worth noting. And, and I would say you will see this. I'm amazed when the Spirit of God points something out, and all of a sudden I begin to look through Scripture, and I see it in places I've never seen it before. It, it just comes alive. So I, I would say here that it's worth noting that righteousness in the context, in the setting of Psalms 23, verse 3, uh, is set in the context of a path. Righteousness is a path. It's not a thing to be possessed. It's a way. Okay? Sometimes we just, we, we have all the right information. We just put it in the wrong place. Righteousness is not something I possess. It's a it's a way to, to a place. It's a way that I walk. It's a pathway. It's called a path, right? Everybody get that? That's important. You got to get that. Well, elementary, my dear Watson, that's how it's written, right? But we don't get it because we read paths of righteousness, but we think righteousness as the medal I hang around my neck, the, the, the certificate I put on the wall, the feeling that I have about the day I did it all right. No, no, it's a path. It's a path you walk on and it's taking you someplace. It's taking you someplace. It's how Jesus leads us. It's how David presents this in Psalms 23, verse 3. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I like what the Amplified says, not for my earning it, but for his namesake. This is a path. This is a path. And so, did you know that the path of righteousness and my mistakes will coincide? Now, that will totally mess up most people's definition of righteousness. Because most people, if you ask them, what's righteousness? Well, a lot of people would say, well, it's right standing with God, right? But the problem I have with that definition is that has far more to do with me than it does to do with God, because it has to do with my performance before God rather than who God is in my life. Okay, so I, I don't, it, that's a piece of righteousness. And there is a, there is a place that I stand right with God in Christ but it's so much more about him and what he's doing than me and what I'm doing. Okay. And so, man, I want to talk about this righteousness. This is, this is kind of, this is neat stuff. So worth noting in the context, it is a path. It is a way that you move, not something you possess. Okay. All right. So paths lead somewhere. And there are many paths that we can use to take us 
some place. Now, isn't it interesting that today in our culture, people will tell you that all the paths end up in the same place? Baloney. They do not. They do not. And you can't take any path you want and end up in heaven. Scripture clearly says that he leads us where? In paths of righteousness. He doesn't lead us in paths of being good. Right? There's a way that seems right to man. Interesting. Interesting. There's a path that seems right to man, but the end of that path is death. Do you think righteousness leads to death? No, all these paths don't lead to the same place. Okay? All right. So, um, David speaks of a specific path, the path of righteousness. And where would you imagine that a path with a name like that might lead to? Where might, where might a path of righteousness lead to? All of those things, I want to I sum a lot of that up because we, we could name a lot of things, but they would all be encompassed in one word called life. It leads to life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, now remember, like in view of what he just said, he restores my soul. What's your soul? It's the essence of life. And now he tells us how he's going to restore the essence of life. He's going to lead us in a path that leads to life. Right? Right? All right. So the path of righteousness, I, I would now, I, that, that's just, I would say this path leads to life. There's a lot of other paths, but they don't, none of them, I would say lead to life other than the path of righteousness because this is where the shepherd leads. Doesn't say, well, you might find him in another path. No, it says he leads me in paths of righteousness, in paths of how he sees it for his namesake. And how he sees it leads to life. He restores my soul. All right. And and so um, here it is in the third verse, and it, it naturally flows from the first statement, right? He restores my soul. And the word soul here means the essence of life. He restores the essence of my life as he leads me in paths of how he sees it that lead away to life. I want to be on that path. So how can I identify this path? Now, it's so interesting. We are called... To follow a shepherd, David, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Then he, he talks about how he leads. But um, we have an interesting dynamic. He's not here with us physically. He has sent the spirit of Christ to lead us. But so many days, I ask the question, where are you? What are you doing? How do I know if I'm on the path? I can't tell. My feelings tell me maybe I'm not. But... Maybe I am. I, I can't always see if the path is leading away to life. Sometimes I feel like Paul that I've been given the sentence of death. But Paul says, even if we have, we serve a God who raises the dead. Right? And so I, I always look for markers. I always look for markers. I, 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 I need to have something to hold on to. Right? We were coming back from a wedding last year uh, in Great Falls. New Year's Day, the, the, the wedding was New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. We drove back through the worst ground blizzard I've ever been in in my life, from Valir to East Glacier. And all that I had 
was every once in a while, I would see a reflector along the side of the road, and that's what I hung on to. I couldn't see anything else. Uh, I knew I was five feet from the reflector. I was 10 feet from the reflector. Of course, I'd hear the rumble strips, too. Thank God for rumble strips. Uh, the wind was blowing so hard, it was blowing with us, that I couldn't even tell if the van was moving. I had to look at the speedometer because the snow was moving with us. And it just, it just, it was, I need markers. I need markers to know that I'm on because sometimes it's hard to tell. Am I still on the road? God! (laughs) We need markers. How do we know when we're on this path of righteousness? Well, around here, if you want to discover a path or a trail, you go to a trailhead. And so I want to go to a trailhead for the path of righteousness. You go to a trailhead to begin to get your bearings for the trail. So let's, kind of like Lombardi goes to the Green Bay Packers, and he, he, he just like the team is a wreck. I'm not, I'm not saying we're wrecked, but he, he starts, he gets the huddle together, and he brings in this brown piece of pigskin, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> let's go to the trailhead. Let's go to the trailhead. Are you ready? Let's go to the trailhead. Matthew chapter 7, the path of righteousness trailhead. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now we're out of Psalms 23, but here's what I want you to see. So many times in scripture, when you read, you're going to hear a word and it should cause you to look around and go, where have I heard that before? Where have I heard that before? If there's a principle, I want us to get out of this study. I want us to get this because there are so many things that are said in this Psalm that should stop cause us to stop and go, where have I heard that before? Where have I seen that? Oh, here, 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 here. And you see how it it flows together in in this remembrance and these pictures that we're supposed to see. And Jesus will say something, and at his time, the Jews would stop and go, where have I heard that? Oh, I heard that back over here, right? And um, um, you you even see that in, in the Gospels. There'll be times that that it says, and Jesus said this, but the disciples didn't get it, and they didn't remember till after his resurrection, and then they remembered where they had heard this before in Scripture, and that's where they began to teach, and teach, and that's what you see Peter doing on the day of Pentecost, right? It's this whole dynamic. So, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, here's what Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way, I want you to notice way, the path, The path, the word path. He leads me in paths. We're talking about paths. Here's a path. The narrow's gate, or the the the, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the and the path is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the path is narrow, the way that leads to life. Leads to life. Look at there's a path that leads away to life. I wasn't making it up. And there are a few who find it. Do all the paths go to the same place? No. Okay. There we go. Didn't want you to think I was making that up. This is the trailhead. Jesus said there's a gate and there's a path. And they're narrow. And you got to pay attention. You got to look for them. You got to look for them. It's not always obvious. Not a lot of people find this. And and then there's this other gate and there's this other path. And it's it's wider and it's easy to walk on and, and people just take off down it, and they think it's great. It's just great. We're having a party. Everybody come along. He said, but, but find the narrow gate and the, 
in the narrow path. And if you were to stand at the trailhead of the, the, uh, the paths of righteousness, it, it would be narrow, probably be harder to find, maybe not as obvious to everybody, but anybody that spends any time doing any hiking, these are the trails that you look for because these are the places that you really get to experience what's out there, right? Life, life. And so, so we have this trailhead, we have this, this marker. Now in John chapter 10, these are not up there, you just listen. Verses seven and nine, listen to what Jesus said. Now, again, this is, you're, you're gonna, you should be picking up on Psalms 23 when you hear this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Gate, door, path. Okay, Psalms 23. So he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in, and he will go out, and he will find pasture. Who is the gate to the pathway of righteousness? Jesus Christ, there is no other way. When people call you narrow-minded, you should say you are absolutely correct. The gate is narrow. There is only one gate, and there is only one path, and that's the one I want to be on, okay? The path of righteousness. So here we are, Jesus' way. You got you to know, now this is, I'm not just creating doctrine. I, I want you to see why I'm going to say some of the other things I'm going to say. Who are we following? Following Christ. We're following Jesus. Now, he has sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is here, but Jesus said he will take everything that is mine, everything that's been given me by the Father, and he will make it known to you. So the Spirit of Christ is here to lead us in this path of righteousness. We are following him. It's the only way onto the path. You can't get onto this path by being good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And the only place you find life is in the path of righteousness because it's the only one that leads away to life. Okay. John 14, 6. This will be up there. Jesus said to him, I am the way the path, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if we enter through the gate and get on the path, where are we going? To the Father. And he is life. He is life. The path that leads to the Father is not called the being good path. It's called the path of righteousness. It's, it's, people will ask, well, why can't I get to heaven by being good? Well, because that path doesn't go to heaven. Well, why can't I get to Walmart in Kalispell if I go east on Highway 2? Because that path doesn't lead to the Walmart in Kalispell. Am I bigoted because I think that way? Seems like common sense to me. All right, the path that leads to the Father is the path of righteousness. And there is no other way to be on the path of righteousness than through Jesus because he is the gate. And it says that anybody that goes any other way than through the gate is a thief or a robber. That's what he says. 
that narrow-minded Jesus. Uh, there's only one way. And, and on this path, there is only one guide, and that is our shepherd, right? The Spirit of Christ leads us in the path of righteousness. So who, are we f- who do we go through? Jesus. Who are we following? Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, right? It's who we're following. You got to know that if you're on the path, because this is going to bring a point of perspective that we have to understand. Okay? It's all, it's all about the perspective. So, <clears throat> first perspective, uh, I want to consider again the definition of righteousness. It'll be up on the screen here again. Uh, I've been giving you this definition. I've shortened it up a little bit. Righteousness is how God sees it. It's righteousness. It's righteousness. It works any place. You take that to any biblical scholar and they'll go, yeah, that's true. Okay? I'm not tooting my horn. I'm just saying it, it, is, it is so revolutionized, reformed. So many things in my life and how I approach God and how I treat what he's doing in my life. It's like, God, this is about how you see it, not about how good I can be. It's about how you see it. Okay? All right. So, righteousness is how God sees it. So then the, this is the path of how God sees it. It leads the way to life, and it's a narrow path. As opposed to the path of how I am convinced I see it. That leads away to destruction. Now, you got to get that. Path of righteousness is how God sees it. Can, can we just simplify things? I don't see things the way God sees them. Isaiah 55 says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are your ways above mine. Right? Hebrews 11, those who come to God must believe that he is God. Man, if you think God thinks like you, we need to have a talk. Um, The realization, one of the things that will set you free is to go, you know what? On my best day, my understanding of God and who he is and what he's doing is very incomplete. And he knows so much. And I know so little. And so I need to hold very lightly what I do know because I understand that God does not think like me, but he has invited me to a path where he wants to guide me. But what that means is I should expect that he is not going to do things the way I see it. Right? Right? The path of righteousness is not about me being good. The path of righteousness is about me being submitted to how he sees it. Right? If I'm going to be led on that path, that's my posture. Let's say the word posture. It's my posture. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3. Listen again for words that you might recognize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, in all of your paths, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Okay? So interesting. The paths. If you consider that, that every day the Lord prepares a path, he has prepared a path to lead us in. And we get to choose which paths we will take. There's a lot of paths available to you every day when you get up. But the path of righteousness, he waits at the gate, Jesus, 
He says, come, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me in the path of righteousness because I will lead you in the path of how I see it for my name's sake. But don't be wise in your own eyes. Let me establish your path. Okay? Um, when I lean on my own understanding, um, path of righteousness is a very difficult place to be. Why? Because I don't see it the way God sees it. And have you ever been in a place where there's that constant friction? Like I see it this way, you see it this way, I want my way, you want your way? You ever been there? Finally, somebody's got to give. And I've just finally come to the conclusion that if somebody has to be wrong in the relationship, it's probably going to be me. Right? With God? If I'm right and he's wrong, then who's God? Me. Path of righteousness, how he sees it. Okay. So, so this is the trailhead. We know, we know this is the path of righteousness. But once we begin the journey, what marks this pathway as distinct from other paths that we will intersect in our journey? <clears throat> and I would like to give you what I believe is the surest marker for this path. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a word. They always go, speak in terms that everybody knows. But I like James McDonald, and he said something one day. I'm listening to James, and he goes, you know, we need to help people grow, so learn a word, bro, right? <laughs> learn a word, bro. It's okay. A lot of you probably know this. I had to learn this. I didn't know this. Somebody had to tell me. But uh, a marker on a path that, that we might see around here, you see them a lot in Europe too, but a cairn. Am I saying that right, David? Okay, cairn. C-A-I-R-N, a cairn. Cairn is a pile of rocks. I always call them a cairn. It's not a cairn, it's cairn. It's a cairn. I had to learn that yesterday, right? Cairn, I knew. And, and the, you know, the first place I really started paying attention, is, anybody ever seen a cairn? Do you know what it is? A little pile of rocks, flat rocks, they stack them up, okay? I was going to one of my favorite huckleberry spots. And as I started up this trail, very well hidden, I began to see these cairns. I destroyed them. <laughs> Do not. Build a cairn on my huckleberry. <laughs> Go find your own cotton-picking huckleberry spot like I did. Cairn. A cairn. What are the cairns? What are the piles of rocks? I think it's very interesting that so many of the places that Israel went, God had them build cairns. Okay? They were markers to remind them and to help others follow, but... God gives us these cairns, and I believe this is the most common cairn on the path of righteousness that you will see to know that you are on that path and not some other path because the paths can begin to look the same at certain points and cause us to wonder. And what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to look around every once in a while and go, oh yeah, I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path. So um, uh, the, the pathway by virtue of its name tells us what it looks like. It's the path of how, how God sees it. So I have a question. What is the most common biblical term used to describe my activity on a different path? And I'll call this the path of how I see it. What's the most common biblical word that we might use to describe my activity on the path of how I see it? Three-letter word, very common. Everybody should know it. It's the word 
Sin, sin. I, I, yeah, you guys are like me. You, you know, I, you just don't want to say it. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Don't worry, I'm wrong all the time. The, most, the, 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 the word used to describe the activity on the path of how I see it is sin. It's doing it my way. It's, it's doing it in opposition to how God sees it, right? All right. And so um, when I humble myself and submit to following the shepherd, right? He's going to lead me in the path of righteousness, okay? When I submit and humble myself to following the shepherd, do I just forget my selfish way of seeing things? No! Is there going to be sin on the path of righteousness? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, we have to dismiss this thought of something we possess. Like I was on the path of righteousness today because I got it all right. Well, that may be right, but there's also somebody who was on the path of righteousness today in their stumbling, they were submitting themselves to God. And this is where I say, sometimes it's hard to tell what path I'm on because I'm like, God, I did it again. But is your heart broken over that? I would, I would always ask that question, or are you just okay with it? And that's just who I am. That's your excuse. That's just who I am. No, it's not who you are. You've just boiled God down to nothing, and you've made your sin bigger than your God. It's not just how you are. God has the ability to change, to transform. That's how big he is. He's much bigger than how you are. Um, and, and so this dynamic of on the path of righteousness, I submit, I want to follow, but we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So how can I tell if I'm on the path of how I see it or if I'm on the path of righteousness? Because sometimes you see the same things. Great question. Second um, Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. <clears throat> Paul says this, I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. All right, we're going to pick up on this word, repentance. You were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. Notice repentance is leading someplace. We're on a path. We're on a path. Salvation or uh, repentance leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. A repentant heart is the cairn that marks the path of righteousness. Now, I want to I want to I want to hone in on this word repentance. I want to I want you to I want you to see this we're going to bring this around. I put here do we really understand the principle of repentance? Repentance is a posture. I will say this repentance is the posture of humility. Um if our Christian life were to be compared to a board game like Monopoly I think most people treat repentance like the get-out-of-jail-free card, when really repentance is the dice that moves us on the path. 
Okay? Repentance is a posture. It's a, it's a way of living. Um, and I, I want us to see what repentance is because it's a principle that I don't know that we fully understand. We've just taken it for where it benefits us and left the rest to chance. And, and really, repentance is such a powerful thing because repentance is not just meant to be used when something's wrong, but repentance is a way of living. Let's look at it. Uh, it is so much more than saying I'm sorry for the wrong done against my neighbor or God. <laughs> um, personally, most of the time when I just say I'm sorry, what I'm really meaning is that I'm sorry I got caught. Right? I, my own life, you, you think through yours, uh, you know, when I was younger, I had a 71 Camaro. All I did was work on that car. I wanted to go fast, fast, fast. And when I got pulled over by an officer of the law and was written a ticket, I always said, I'm sorry. But what did I really mean was, I'm sorry I got caught. There's really nothing in my heart that's changing. As soon as you're gone, I'm going to speed again. No repentance there. When I was a young man, about eight years old, my mom would make sugar cookies for Christmas. And I would go downstairs, and I would dig the Tupperware tubs out of the freezer, and I would take various cookies from places and try to make it look like I didn't take them. When I got caught, I would say, I'm sorry. But really, I was just sorry I got caught because I was going to be back later trying to get better at not getting caught getting the cookies. No repentance. Repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry. And actually, it's a, it's a, it's a slap in the face of God if we treat repentance in such a way. Because that, that is just a tool to be used. That's my get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? Oh, I said I'm sorry. I'm off the hook. Uh, I, I had a friend who used to borrow things from me, my tools, and then misplace them, not bring them back or lose them. And when I would talk to them about it, they would always say, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And one day I got so frustrated, I looked at him. I said, would you quit being sorry? And, of course, that didn't help either. So I just had to start saying no. But I think sometimes God looks at us and he goes, hey, why don't you just quit being sorry? Why don't you let repentance have its place in your life? Not enough remorse over sin to change my course of actions, which is a, a key component of repentance. Um. I want to tell you what repentance literally means. Literally, I had uh, a friend who has, has studied, you know, Lynn Lapka, and, and he was telling us this, and when he said this, it just jumped up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. So the definition of righteousness in, in, in the Hebrew was this. It literally means to turn away from my course, my path of action, and to turn to the course of action aligning with how God sees it. That's repentance. You understand that righteousness and repentance walk so closely together. Think about that. He leads me. He's restoring the essence of my life. He leads me in pathways of repentance, of turning away from the path of how I see it and looking for the pathway that aligns with how God sees it. That is a picture of repentance. So now, 
Let's talk about repentance. Repentance is not something just to be brought out when something's been wrong. And I recognize it's wrong. Repentance is a way of living that says, God, if I don't look for your path and align myself with that, I will do it the way I see it. And that is sin. Isn't that interesting? Repentance should be done before the act is committed. Not after. Right? What do we say every day? God, get up. Holy Spirit, would you please show me your way today? That is, that's a repentant posture. Now, if the path of righteousness is a path of repentance... What is on the path of repentance? It's the posture of humility. What's on the path of humility? Grace. What's in the path of grace? Salvation. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This is the path of life. This is the path of life. Repentance. Repentance is not something to keep in your back pocket until... You recognize that you've wronged God or your neighbor. Repentance is something you put on first thing in the morning when you turn to God and you say, God, I'm turning away from how I see it. I know I've done my life this way. But God, that's a sin. I don't want to be on that path anymore. You are the gate. You lead me in the path. God, I'm looking for how you see it because I know that I don't think the way you think. I don't see the way you see, but I know you have a path that you want to lead me on. And so I take the posture of repentance. And I look for the path that aligns with how you see it, the path of righteousness. Repentance marks the path of righteousness. It is the cairn. It is how you know you are on the right path is when you have a heart of repentance. Not just for things you've done wrong, but just recognizing what Jesus said, without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I can do nothing of any value to your kingdom, nothing of eternal. For all practical purposes, we could rename the path of righteousness, the path of repentance. I'm going to paraphrase Psalms 23.3. My paraphrase, he He restores the essence of my life as he leads me in a pathway of repentance that leads away to life in the presence of the Father. And Psalms 23 spreads its branches and roots to so many places in Scripture. There is so much in these first three verses. It just, when I begin to look at just paths, the word paths, and all the places we see paths. And and righteousness, this path of righteousness. Every time you see the word righteousness, think of it as a pathway that's going someplace, not something you can earn or possess or the merit badge that you get that says, "Ah, I'm righteous, because that's kind of how most people think about it, and that's why we kind of avoid it. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm sorry, you've made righteousness more about you than you have about God. This is his path that he wants to lead us in. It's like holiness. It's the same way. In scripture, it's called the highway of holiness. Who will dwell on the highway of holiness? Well, it's just a wider, right? 
and, and then it, and it goes on to say it's a pathway that's taking it someplace. It's, holiness is God's character. It's the strength of God's character. Who will walk on the pathway of the strength of God's character? Well, in Galatians 5 and Galatians 2, we're told all about growing in the character of God. Well, that's the, that's the pathway, right? When you walk in the pathway of repentance, when you, when you walk, when you're looking to align yourself with how God sees it, guess what? You're going to grow in his character because that's what he's going to lead you in. And guess what? Uh, if you stub your toe on the path of how you see it, you're probably going to stub your toe once in a while on the pathway of righteousness. Want to know why? Because when I stub my toe, I grow. Well, I won't do that again. I'll pick my foot up next time. Oh, I'm not going to step on the shiny rock with the green stuff that's slick. God says, I'm not going to let you be thrown headlong. I got your hand. Come on. Come on. Let me show you how I see it. Don't, don't step there again. I'm not punishing you. It's, it's just, you, you, we all make mistakes. And even in the pathway of righteousness and in the path of repentance, I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to fall down and I'm going to stub my toe. But my heart says, oh God, I'm not asking you to vindicate me for what just happened. God, help me. Please help me to see things how you see them. I want to know the life that you offer, but I know the only place that I find life is in your presence. And God, I know that sin separates me from your presence. And so I just want to see it how you see it because I want to stick close. I want to recognize what you're doing. I want to see where you're going because, man, God, I, I just tend to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. And then I ask you to, God, come over here and put your sticker on my path. And he says, no way. <laughs> no way. Come over here and be with me. All right. <clears throat> quickly, quickly, quickly. I want you to see this. Let's go to Isaiah 30. All right. This is, this is such, again, don't forget Psalms 23. This is our, this is our kind of our foundation and, and, and this path. But I want you to see the opposite. I want you to see the opposite of Psalms 23. I want you to see how it plays out in people's lives. Isaiah 30, verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. You see some parallels from Psalms 23, kind of the other side of the coin. You have forsaken identity. Right? Because Psalms 23 is a psalm of identity. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm the sheep. These are rebellious children. They've forsaken their identity. They're not drawing their identity from their father. They are having their own identity. They're obstinate and they're do it my own way living. That's what we're dealing with here in Isaiah 30 from a nation. It's the absolute opposite of Psalms 23 pattern of living. But in verse 15, God makes an invitation to these lost sheep. Listen to what he says. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, he has said, in repentance, oh, there it is, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. You know, one of my favorite lines from Psalms 52, another one of David's Psalms when he's repenting for his sins of murder and adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband killed. 
He says, create me a clean heart, right? He wants that. God, I want to see. But he goes on to pray, sustain me with a willing spirit. And I've taught on this. But basically what he's saying is, give me a heart that's willing to be where you are. Sustain me with a heart that's willing to be where you are. Man, that is, that is so bedrock to repentance and righteousness. It's that desire to be where God is that says, to be where you are, I got to look for how you see it. Help me to align myself with how you see it. And so repentance and rest, oh my goodness. We, we, could, we could go into Hebrews with the rest and talk about where God talks about the disobedient children who couldn't enter his rest because of disobedience and just finish work, and we're not going to do all that. But you see that there's a pathway here. God says, I wanted to lead you in the pathway of repentance and rest because this is where your salvation lies, right? Okay, and then in verse 16 and 17, they weren't willing to take the path that God was offering. Of course, we see that repentance and rest was the pathway. They, they had a fix on another path, which God goes on to elaborate on in verses 16 and 17. And I was... I always kind of laugh at this. I laugh. I go, man, God, how many times have I done this and just not heard what you were saying? So he says, and you said no. <laughs> man, kids, have you ever said no to God? No. And you said, no, we, we, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee, God says. And, and, and you said, we will ride on fast Horses, man, these guys have got such a good plan. Therefore, those who pursue you will be swift. One will flee at the threat of one man, or uh, 1,000 will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five until you are left like a flag on a mountaintop and a signal on a hill. Hmm. That says, you want to go do it your way? He is such a good father. You want to know why? He does not enable his children. He says, if that's the way you want to go, I'm going to let you have the weight of the consequences of your choice. You want to know why? Because I know that that's where your heart will turn and you will come back. You want to know what happens when a parent constantly saves a child? They continually make decisions like this. They never change. And I have watched people that I knew in this community continually save their kids, and I buried their kids. Don't do it. He's a good father. He says, matter of fact, he goes on to say in verse 18, once you see God's response this wayward flock, and therefore the Lord earnestly waits Go read Jesus' parable about the prodigal son. I love it. The kid's living in the pig trough. He longs to fill his belly with what the pigs are eating. And it gets to a point and it says, and when no one was giving him anything, Jesus said that. He came to his senses. <laughs> God goes, well, Nice plan you got there. I'm not going to help you with that. You can pray about it all you want. I'm not going to touch it. That's the way you see it, not the way I see it. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. You want to know where he's waiting? He's waiting at the gateway of the path of righteousness. That's where he's waiting. 
I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified. And therefore, the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking, and longing to be gracious to you. Where is he going to be gracious to you? Is he going to be gracious to you in the path of how you see it or the path of how he sees it? That's it. He'll be gracious to you in his path. But if you're on your path, you're on your own. People go, God said he'd never leave me and forsake me. Absolutely. But he didn't say you couldn't leave or forsake him. Right? Right. All right. So, therefore, he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, blessed, happy, 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 fortunate, and to be envied are all those who earnestly wait for him who expect and look and long for him for his victory, his favor, his love, his peace, his joy, his matchless, unbroken companionship. Verse 19, O people who dwell in Zion at Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Now look at this, look at this, because this is, you can draw some of this from Psalms 23. Listen. And although he has given you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. I tell you, God never quits shepherding. But do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap destruction. If you sow the spirit, you'll reap life. Pick a path. Pick a path. But he gave them the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. Now, in the path of righteousness, what does he give us? He causes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He says, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will constantly behold your teacher. Can I tell you, I really believe this to be true that the more we walk on the path of righteousness, the more we walk with a posture of humility, looking for the way God does, the more we see him. Look at, this is the promise here. Yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes will constantly behold your teacher. I truly believe this. That when we allow him to lead us in the paths of righteousness, his ways and his presence become more and more visible to us easier to see. And your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. This is the path. Walk in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved images. Can I, can I just kind of bring that into what it is? Their carved images were how they saw it. Those were the things they stared at. Those are the places they looked to have their needs met. And he said, you will defile. And basically what he said is you're going to repent and you're going to throw those away and you're going to look for the pathway that aligns itself with how I see it. Then you will defile your your carved images overlaid with silver and your molten images plated with gold. You will cast them away as a filthy blood-stained cloth and you will say to them, be gone. Be gone. And when nobody was doing anything for them, they came to their senses. Be gone. We are much better off on the path of righteousness with God where he leads, where we recognize him walking with a posture of humility 
and repentance in this path of righteousness. God never quits shepherding his flock. He waits and longs to be gracious to us in the path of repentance for his name's sake. I close it out with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 through 13. It's not up there. Listen to what it says, because this again draws from Psalms 23, draws from all we've been learning today in, in regard to righteousness and repentance and how they are yoked together. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. The path of righteousness is full of the peaceful fruit of repentance which brings healing to that which is lame and restores the essence of our life. Um, I don't know if it's Habakkuk or Zephaniah, I should look it up, but it says, and, and in that day, the son of righteousness. I know a lot of people will, will reference Christ to that, but really I've, I've studied that. And in the Hebrew, they said it's not, it's not a person, but it's the effects of righteousness. Then the effects of righteousness will arise on these people with healing in its wing. The path of righteousness, in the path of righteousness, there's healing. In the path of righteousness is the tree of life. This is such an amazing path, but it's marked by repentance. And repentance is not just something we do when we violate a law. Repentance is a posture of humility that we take each morning as we look and we say, God, help me to align myself with you and how you see it today and to be led by you in this path. And God, I understand that I'm going to make mistakes and Everything's not going to turn out right. But at every turn, at every stumble, at every fall, at every victory, I'm looking for how you see it. Lead me in the path of righteousness. Amen. Father, we thank you uh, that you come again and again and again. God, to restore the essence of life. And to do that, you lead us in a pathway of repentant living. You lead us in the pathway of righteousness of how you see it. God, I pray for each one, God, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we would hunger and thirst to know how you see it. God, that it would be the substance of our life. It would be the thing that we feed on. It would be the thing that we look for more than silver or gold or treasures. God, that we look for your perspective. Your word says that when we look for wisdom, we find it that it has greater value than all other treasure, the wisdom of how you see it. Spirit of Christ, would you lead us in that this way this week? Would you challenge us and check us each morning as we arise? Would you remind us that we can posture ourselves before you in the pathway of righteousness? humbly looking for how you see it, walking in repentant living before we do one thing that we know is good or bad, that we honor you, that we honor you. We thank you for it. 
Show us your way so we can walk with you. And we thank you for your promise that says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Lead us in those things because the promises you went on to say, but you reveal them by your spirit. Thank you that you lead us in the path of righteousness. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. <clears throat> uh, we, we will have people here today if you would like prayer.